Listen to the words of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place. Some of your versions have to a desert place by himself. When the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, The place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Now, this was not from personal helping. This was a statement that I read. That Jesus does about 35 recorded miracles. Now we know that anything that was recorded of what he did is only a small sampling. As John wrote many other songs, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But about 35 are recorded. But something that's fascinating is only one outside of the resurrection is recorded in all four Gospels. And it's this one. The feeding of 5,000. Recorded in all four Gospels. Right away, that should alert us, catch our attention as being of great significance about this miracle. There's something significant about it. And here are the records. And always, you do well to simply read the passages, reflect upon them, contemplate the details that one gives, that another doesn't, but put the picture together. And what does it teach us? And what does it teach us about Him? One of the things we find from John's Gospel is that the setting is near Passover. It's near Passover. It's the springtime of the year. And as it is near this Passover time, also we read another explanation as to why Jesus goes here in Matthew's Gospel. 
the focus is on he hears the news of John the Baptist and his execution and he withdraws he often withdraws from hostility because he wants to teach his disciples and prepare them for his approaching death but in Mark's account the text tells us that the disciples come back from news of the limited commission and they are telling about all that they did and Jesus said come apart and rest a while in Mark 6 adds that so many were coming and going that the disciples did not have time to eat Mark is a gospel of action that statement is only in the gospel of Mark so they are leaving to get away from themselves to refresh themselves but it's not easy for Jesus to get away from this crowd when he gets there a large crowd has gathered the people follow him on foot from all these cities now I want you to think about this just a moment if you were going somewhere to get away, you were going somewhere because you could not even have time to eat a meal, and then you see the crowd has found you there, how would you respond? The text tells us he felt compassion for them. He did not feel resentful. He did not feel impatient. But he was compassionate toward them. And he healed their sick. Mark 6, verse 34 tells us he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. These people are lost in hands. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Mark's account emphasizes. He begins to teach them many things. He begins to heal those who were sick. But as this crowd has assembled, this enormous crowd has assembled. And they have stayed with Jesus for a good while. The disciples began to be conscious of a problem. The disciples began to recognize a difficulty. And the Bible says that they come to Jesus and say, listen, uh, this is a desert place, this is a desolate place, and let's send the crowds away that they may find something to eat. We don't have the means to feed all of this crowd. Now it's interesting, in John's Gospel, and only in John's gospel, Jesus initiates this. And Jesus says, what are we going to do about these crowds? He said this, the Bible specifically says, to test them. Because he knows full well what he's going to do. When God asks us a question, like when God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? He asked Cain, where's your brother Abel? God's not asking for information. God is testing us. And Jesus was testing them. What are we going to do with these crowds? And the 
the disciples' solution, let's send them away. Jesus said, you don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. I tried to indicate in the reading just a moment ago that that you is emphatic. You give them something to eat. They said, we have five loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many? We find in John's account that it was Andrew who brought this boy to Jesus who had the five loaves and two fish. But these were barley loaves according to John's gospel. The food of the poor, five loaves, two fish. But even when they mention that we have this, they ask the question, what is this among so many? What would it be like to show up in a crowd of a couple of hundred at a church potluck with five loaves and two fish? And what happened is Jesus had them sit down. Mark's account says in groups of 50, in groups of 100, And he took the five loaves and the two fish and he blessed it, which means he gave thanks for it. It's the way the Gospel of John said. He gives thanks for these meager supplies in the midst of this teeming multitude. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He blessed it. He broke the loaves with the bread and gave them to the disciples. Now today, today we may not pursue those words. But we're going to, Lord willing, in the near future. He blessed, he broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the Bible tells us that they were all satisfied. Here's true, 5,000 men, Matthew specifically says, this group does not include women and children. Five thousand men and they all eat as much as they want they are all satisfied and when they are satisfied they pick up the remains and they're 12 baskets full there's more left over than when they started they have more at the end than they had at the beginning This shows us the abundance that Jesus supplied. The lessons in the text are not primarily about sharing our food, nor being frugal. That's not the lesson. It is to show us who supplies the bread and the abundance that he supplies. Truly, their cup is running over. And the Bible tells us it gives account of the group 5,000, not including women and children. 
Look over in Mark 6, just a second, and let me make a point that, that I've made at other times, uh, particularly for those who are in our Psalms class on Tuesday night. Uh, in Mark 6, in Mark 6, in verse 34, we already referenced the fact that when Jesus saw this group, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. It is interesting that when you get to verse 39 of Mark 6, the Bible says he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. Only Mark has that note that the grass is green. Now John told us it was near Passover, but only Mark has that note that the grass was green. What, what's interesting here, what's interesting is that it's Mark's gospel who tells us the people were like sheep without a shepherd, and it's Mark's gospel and Mark's alone that tells us they sat down on the green grass. Do you remember that passage? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Jesus in Mark's gospel in particular is revealed as the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the good shepherd who provides the sheep. And he also is revealed as the gracious host. Remember Psalm 23 has a picture of a gracious host. You will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. These people's cup is overflowing. Jesus is fulfilling everything about Psalm 23 in this event. Now we're going to look some at the Gospel of John. And so let me invite you to go ahead and turn your Bible to John chapter 6. A record of this miracle. But also... I want us to see there is an Old Testament background for these events. Just like almost every event in the life of Christ, there's some kind of Old Testament background. Whether we've expressed it or not, it is there. And particularly, there are a couple of things that's really, they're really striking to me. The Bible tells us that this miracle takes place in Matthew 14, verse 13, in a secluded place. The place is described in Matthew 14, verse 15, as desolate. The, both of these words, both, both these are the same word, verse 13, verse 15, and it could be translated wilderness, or in some of your versions it's translated desert. But, but the point, this miracle takes place in a wilderness, in a desert, in a secluded place. But this is the same 
name that was used, the same word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for where Israel wandered for 40 years. And Israel was wandering 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. They are wandering here and the Lord provides them manna to eat every day, six days a week. God provides them with manna. And you read some passages about that in Exodus 16, Numbers 11. Uh, in Exodus 16, you may even remember that God specifically says he fed them with manna every day to test them. Exodus 16, verse 4. We saw a moment ago that Jesus asked the question to test them. What are we going to do with this cloud? Just as God was testing Israel in the wilderness, Jesus is testing his disciples. Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. Psalm 78 is a historical psalm that recounts what God did in Israel's past, focusing on the mercy and compassion of God and focusing on the sinfulness and foolishness of Israel. But there is a reference that wilderness wandering in Psalm 78 in the Bible says, can God provide a table in the wilderness? Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Can he feed all this multitude in the wilderness? That question is answered in the affirmative in Psalm 78. In Exodus through Deuteronomy narratives. And it is answered in the affirmative here. And it tells us too something about who Jesus is. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? God is providing table in the wilderness. It shows us about his identity. Do you remember how Elijah was sent to the widow in Zarephath, 1 Kings 17? The Bible says there were many, Israel, many widows in Israel in those days. But he sent to a widow in Zarephath. This is near the territory of And when Elijah gets to this woman's house, she's a worshiper of God. She makes an oath in God's name. He's found a worshiper of God in a faraway land. And he asks this lady, will you give me a drink? And she says, yes. She goes to get him a drink and she says, he says, will you make me a little cake of bread too? And she said, all I have is a little flour and a little oil. And I was going to make a cake for my son and myself. And we were going to eat it and die. It's the last things we have. We were going to eat it and simply wait to die. She took that oath in God's name saying that's all she had. And Elijah said, as the Lord God of Israel lives, if you make me a cake first, your flour, your oil will never run out. Will never run out as long as his famine lasts. This foreign woman exercises her child. 
her faith by using her last oil and her last meal to make Elijah a king. And her flour never ran out. Her oil never gave out until that famine was finished. God provided a table in the wilderness. In 2 Kings 4, some brought to Elisha 20 loaves of bread and some grain. A hundred men showed up and Elisha said, Elisha said, set them before the crowd. And they said, it's a hundred men. How can you provide for a hundred men with these 20 barley loaves and with this grain? And he said, this is what the Lord says. They're all going to eat and they're going to have some left over. And he set it before them and they ate and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44. No wonder when the people saw this miracle in John 6 and verse 14, their response is, truly, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the prophet, one like Elijah, one like Elisha. This is the prophet. Who is to come? Now, in John's account, you particularly see this miracle of Jesus tied with the wilderness experience. Look at verse 30. They said to him, the crowd says to Jesus, What do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread out of heaven. Now you read this again. And you are dumbfounded at how the people could ask this. You're not alone. Jesus has taken five loaves and two fish. And he's fed 5,000 men not including women and children. And they're saying, Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. What sign did you show us? And Jesus said in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. In the Gospel of John, Jesus does seven signs, not including the resurrection. And often these signs are tied with his I am statements. Let me illustrate. 
In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He demonstrates he is the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus who had been dead for days. In John 8, 12 and John 9, 4 and 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He demonstrates that by putting mud upon a blind man's eyes and telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He washes and this blind man is able to see. Jesus is giving vivid illustrations of the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the, the light of the world. His miracles were, in a sense, parables. I know that could be misunderstood. I'm not saying the miracles aren't real, but the miracles are absolutely real. But the miracles point to profound truths about who he is and what he does. And when Jesus takes these five loaves and two fish and feeds a multitude, 5,000, not including women and children, he is showing he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. I didn't see the bread. I remember the statement that used to be made, I don't know if it is now, in our car conscious world. Bread is the staff of life. Jesus is absolutely essential for life. All we see, see God created us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in him. C.S. Lewis Set it on a simpler level. Cars run on gasoline. And people run on God. And neither get very far without the other. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will not thirst. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? In an interview, a person said, I have multiple Super Bowl rings. I am married to a super super bowl, which may not be the case before. And I still ask myself, is it? Chariots of fire. 
the story of Eric Riddle and Harold. Little eyes for God. Abram's eyes for himself. And at the end of the movie, Harold Abrams achieves what he always wanted. He wins the hundred meters in the 1924 Olympics. He wins. One of his friends and teammates comes into the locker room to celebrate and everybody tells him, be quiet. One day you're going to win. And you're going to find out it's put in a tree so Sometimes when you achieve what you have lived your whole life for, what you have spent all your energies for, you achieve it and you find it's an empty box. It cannot satisfy the emptiness of your soul. Now, if you're young, if you're the most popular in all your school, rising and falls based on how you respond and you're making good grades and you are a top athlete. But you're empty. Or if you're working a job and if you're successful in your job and you're climbing the ladder and you're making more money and you're empty, broke. And you can't figure it out. Because everything's going fine. The only place you can go is Him. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will not thirst. The book of Ecclesiastes shows that we may try to feel the emptiness in our soul. We may try to fill it with wisdom. We may try to fill it with pleasure. We may seek to fill it with fame. But all of these are going to prove vanity and vexation of spirit. He alone can satisfy. And blessed are those who are successful and broken and realize they're broken. But may they look to the right source for a solution. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will not thirst. These passages in John that I have on the slide. Listen to John 6, 48 through 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Those who ate the manna in the wilderness, they died. All of them died, according to verse 49. But the one who eats of Jesus as the bread of life, it is stated negatively in verse 50, they will not 
die. It is stated positively in verse 51, they will live forever. Blessed are those who in the prime of their life recognize they are broken and empty and nothing of this world can satisfy or fulfill and who turn to Him as the bread of life to satisfy. in the presence of his disciples. The rest of that verse says, but these that are written in the book are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing in life through his name. The reason we study the miracles of Jesus is to build our trust, our confidence, our reliance, our hope, upon him because all other ground is sinking sand. And when we see the Lord who takes the five loaves and the two fish and feeds five thousand, all of this tells us to put our trust in him that he alone can satisfy the hungry soul. If you turn every, anywhere else, you're going to be like the person who is dying of thirst in a shelf at sea and drink salt water to survive, every drink is only going to make you more thirsty. And Jesus' satisfaction that he brings as the good shepherd, the satisfaction that Jesus brings as the bread of life is eternal. Revelation 7 pictures those by the throne of God in verses 16 and 17 as hungering no more and thirsting no more. He will forever satisfy our hunger and thirst. In Revelation 2, 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but him who receives it. He will forever satisfy our empty soul. Where could you go for this answer but to the Lord? Don't build your life on anything else. Put all your eggs in this basket. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we are amazed and awed at what you do for us how you provide for us. You have provided for us abundantly physically that we eat with much left over. And you provide for us abundantly spiritually. 
May we never turn somewhere else to satisfy our hungry and thirsty souls. May all our hope and confidence be in you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. And let me tell you of an opportunity. The church at 25th Street in Columbus called a couple of weeks ago and they heard of some things we did with handing out Bibles. They have bought some Bibles and they want to try it themselves. So if on Saturday, November 19th, if you would like to be a part of that, to go down there for an hour and a half or maybe two to help them to point others to the red block. I'm not giving a lot of detail because those details haven't been worked out yet. But I'm just telling you the day we've agreed upon. And if you let me know of your interest, we'll try to keep you informed as further developments come. What better can we do than point hungry and starving people to the only one who can satisfy that hunger? If you, if you know that you're empty from you and you know you have to follow you, but you can see what Jesus did, and you can see who he is, and you want to be his disciple, if you believe this Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that he is the way of life and you want to turn and repent from those empty things that you have pursued and those sinful things that you've engaged in and you want to find forgiveness in Jesus. You find people doing that in the New Testament, repenting and being baptized for remission of sins. If we can help you with that, maybe you've done that and you're still broken and empty because you haven't drank deeply of the water of life. We invite you to come and we'll pray for you as we stand and sing.